How many of you guys like playing board games? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you are, are past, uh, like, that level of, like, um, board games means parcheesi or trouble? Like, you like you going past that level? Okay. How many of you are, like, Catan? Settlers of Catan is my jam. Okay. How many of you are extra nerd level and are, like, beyond Settlers of Catan? There was a remnant that remains. Okay, yeah. So I love board games. And before I got married, I loved playing board games. But when I married into Amy's family, my love for board games just skyrocketed. They introduced me to a world of board games I did not know existed. It was like knocking on the wall in the club to go to the real club inside the club. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? And so before we had kids, because kids just requires so much love and focused attention. Before we had kids, we would really just get together, find ways to get together to spend hours and hours playing board games. Now, the only problem with that is that board games, uh, it's kind of an addictive and expensive uh, hobby. Every board game, especially beyond that seller's guitar level, is like a $40 to $70 pop for a new board game. And unfortunately, when I meet a new board game, I'm just obsessed with it, and I want it, and I want it. And I found a workaround without spending all that money to invest in them. And besides the obvious, which is, you know, self-control and willpower and just being content with what you have. But so what I figured out is that most new board games have an app or phone version, which are much less expensive. So one of those games is called Patchwork. Patchwork, now if this is... If you are into Tetris and to quilts, this is the sermon intro that you've been waiting for today. Because Patchwork is exactly that, is that you are a master quilter, and you have all these Tetris-sized pizzas and a board that you're trying to fit these quilt patches into. And so I've been playing this a lot the last month, and I've been playing against an a, a AI or the computer, the app opponent, who they named Yui. I have no idea why they named the app or the uh, computer person, a Nordic name. I had to look it up, like where does UE come from, but it's U-W-E, it's a Nordic name. And so I've been playing her on hard. And can I tell you that she's very, very, very good, or maybe I'm just really bad at quilts and Tetris, I'm not sure which one, but I've probably played 40 or 50 times in the last month-ish, and I've won one time. One time, one time, okay? It's pretty, pretty bad. But the thing is, though, is that when I play her, Yui has this, at that level, she has an unfair advantage. She has all of the pieces memorized. She knows exactly how many pieces are coming up. She memorizes all the pieces that have been played, and she can play against me. She knows how much resources I have and how many buttons I can play. If you download the app, this makes a lot more sense, but just kind of stay with me. And she knows my place. And so, like a master chess player, She's playing me as much as she's playing the game. And something in the time that I've been playing against her, I've noticed is that at the very beginning of the game, often she'll section off a space on the board that can only be filled by a very, very specific piece. Something I would never do. I just, as the pieces come, I start and I fill in the board. But she creates spaces that only very specific pieces could fill later on in the game. Something I would not normally do. But inevitably, time and time again, knowing the pieces that have been played, the pieces that are coming, knowing, honestly, playing me really well, and knowing what I'll do, 
she's able to inevitably get those pieces time and time and time again and fill those empty spots. From the beginning of the game, she's thinking at the end of the game and looking ahead at the pieces that she's going to need and setting up the moves to fill that spot and to win. Today's sermon is not going to be about my feud against Yui and this app that I just cannot beat, except for once. We're jumping into week two on our studies of Ephesians. Last week, we started this fall series on this book of Ephesians. And last week, if you missed it, we talked about the author, Paul. We talked about the audience that he was writing to. And we talked about the purpose of Ephesians. How it's Paul's had this apocalypsis or a revelatory, a revelation, this look behind the curtain of God's will. And Ephesians is his letter to the church, letting them know this is the ideal Christian life. Last week we stood and just ended it all with just listening to his run-on, one-sentence, long-on, verses 3 through 14, this one-sentence praise and psalm to God for all of the good things he's having downloaded into his mind. Today we're going to be diving more into those deep and theologically rich verses, but before we do, would you just stand with me? And I actually like to just read God's word to you one more time and to just get the context of the verses in our minds and our hearts afresh. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. It says, before we start, what I want you to do as we're going is I want you to be thinking and hearing what are the words that come up again and again? What, what is Paul saying in this? In this one big whoosh of information, what is he trying to convey and set up for the rest of the book? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Amen. Father God, we just come to you right now. 
Lord, we just, in the tone that Paul sets, God, we just come to you with all praise. Thank you, God, that you are so good. Thank you, God, that all good things come to you. Thank you, God, for allowing us into the family of God. Thank you, God, that when we position ourselves there in relationship to you, back to son and daughter, to the Father, God, that every spiritual blessing is available to us, Father. Thank you that you move right now in our day and time, God reminding us, affirming to us of your good nature, of your sovereign power. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. There's a lot going on here. And to understand what Paul's saying here, I think that we have to understand what was on his mind. The backdrop or the context into which Paul was speaking. See, Paul's basically setting up here at the very beginning of his letter, he's basically saying that God pulled a Yui, that he set all the pieces into motion, that he created spaces in the game of life that only certain people, certain people with specific jobs could fill. And he had this in his mind at the very beginning of time before you and I were ever here. This is Paul for the very first time putting all the pieces together and saying it all makes sense in Jesus. It didn't make sense before. I didn't understand it before. But when I see the big picture on the other side of the cross, it all makes sense. And that's what Paul's doing here. But to understand that thought process, it helps if we understand the sources that are informing Paul's vocabulary helps us understand where is Paul getting this terminology? What what is he speaking into? And that's really what we're going to be doing today is understanding the context from which Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Tim Mackey says it this way, election and predestination must be understood in the light of Paul's own use of these terms in context with the biblical storyline of God and humanity that is focused on Israel and their covenant with Yahweh. This opening praise from Paul is just dripping with deep and rich and theological terminology. But right off the bat, we're confronted with the P word. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this or grew up with a a, a church, a a culture of this. But right off the bat, in verse 4, we see that God, you see this word predestined. And I don't know about you, but what I want you to do right now is think, when you hear the words chosen, elected, predestined, foreknew, I wonder what comes to your mind. I want you to think about that for a second. Tech guys, I think we have a picture. And often, if you've been born of this and been around long enough, a lot of times when we hear those words, this is what we're thinking. We think of God with us, and a pre-selected or predetermined plan for who in that group will either be destined for the good place or the bad place. And when you hear these words, often that's the picture that we get in our mind. There's one pastor that says it this way. He says, there's no theological topic that causes more existential angst among God's people than the word predestination. And I can be honest with you in prepping for this week's message that I felt that existential angst of trying to create and be able to display this message in a way that makes sense with clarity. 
why can't we just focus on the verses that are comforting, like love God with everything you have, love your neighbor, he has a plan for you. Like Those are kind of like the Oreo verses to me. Like I can just eat them and eat them and eat them, and they're just so comforting, right? But I had such confirmation that we're supposed to be studying Ephesians in this season. And where we're at, these are the words that we have. And so we jump into it. Maybe not understanding it all. Maybe you're coming with preconceived ideas or not. Maybe this is a fresh, brand new conversation. But we're going to be wading into these waters today, which is a little bit different than what we normally do, but incredibly beneficial for you. And so this is the work what we're going to be trying to do right now in the, next, in the time that we have is that we're not going to be trying to, we don't want to come to the text with our preconceived ideas. When Paul writes predestined and chosen and election, what we want to do is figure out what does Paul mean when he says that? This is coming from a class, a lecture that Tim Mackey does. It's a fantastic lecture on the Bible project. It's free to access, but he has this illustration when he goes through this. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. Imagine right now that you're at your favorite coffee shop. And you're sitting there with a friend, and it's really crowded, and you hear all this conversation going around you. It's chatter, 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 chatter. And you're focused on your conversation, but all of a sudden, you hear this phrase. And then we're going to go in, and we're going to take them out. And all of a sudden, you're like, what's going on? And so you look over at the table, and the words, take them out, depends on who's speaking them. So you look over and you see a guy in athletic pants and a sweater with the local college team and they have clipboards and racers and you, you realize that take them out, these are the coaches for the local so the soccer team and that take them out means to go in and beat the other team. Let's win in the, this weekend's scrimmage. Or you, or you look over and you see my favorite apparel, Carhartt. Not sponsored, but if I want to be. So Carhartt. And you see them wearing the jackets, and you have the, the tape measure, and you see the big fat pencils, and they have blueprints laid out around the, over in the table, and you realize that take it out means we have to rip out these, these studs. We have to rip out the foundation. We have to rip out the drywall here. Or you look over and see long trench coats and hats, and you realize that take them out is a hit squad from the mafia, right? It matters what the people's talking, it matters who they are. And so what our job today is to not say, what do we think predestination means, the culture that we've grown up in, but what did Paul mean when he used this terminology? What was the context from which he was speaking out of and into? And so we're going to have to do something that I've spent most of my life avo avoiding and running away from and that is history class. Are you ready? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt too. Are you guys ready? Okay, I need to give you, this is the, if you're taking notes today, this is, this is the next point. This is the name of the next point. It's a brief synopsis of blessing, loss and rebellion, a chosen man, an elected nation, a predestined plan of salvation, and adoption into the family of God. That's a lot. Okay, and that's purposeful because what I need you to do right now is I need you to sit up, put your feet on the ground, look at me, take a deep breath, and you're going to have to pay attention. This is not a message that you can come back into at the altar call and be like, "Woo, I got it. This is one you have to pay attention for, okay? So if you have a pad of paper, if you have your phone, 
it will be good for you to take notes today and write some of these down for further reflection on your own as you mull on these thoughts throughout this week. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. And if you think about that verse, there's one word that sticks out again and again and again, which is blessing. Blessed God the Father, blessed uh, Jesus the Son, and every spiritual blessing that comes from the Spirit. And so there's this idea that Paul's saying here of that we now have access and we are a blessed people. And so if you think in your scripture, there's one other place that highlights blessing this strong. It's in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And so this is going to be a look all the way back to the current present moment. And so if we start with this idea of being a blessed humanity. And guys, I have a picture and we can just start and we'll follow along with me. I think the first one says humanity. And so in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, 22, God blesses the fish and the birds to go be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 2, 3, he blesses the Sabbath. This idea of in rest, life comes out of the Sabbath. He blesses it and makes it holy. But in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, he says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. The idea is that the blessing came twofold. To fill and to govern the earth. In the beginning, humanity was blessed. To create life and to govern earth. And all of this was done in the context of Eden. This idea of that we had unity between man and between God. That all provision was found in the garden. That God walked with us and talked with us. And that we had this relationship to partner with God. To go into the world and to fill it and to govern it and to rule it. As a reflection of God. To go out, we were blessed to create life and love. And that's all good for about ten verses. And that it all tanks. And Adam and Eve invite sin into the world. To reference Jacob and Esau, we traded our blessings for beans. We got rid of our blessings for nothing. We traded it and gave it away. We did fill the earth, but not how God asked us to. Skipping forward to Genesis 6, 5 and 6, he says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they taught or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and he put them on earth. It broke his heart. Skip forward to verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all of this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. Blessed humanity gave up our blessing and we went forth and instead of filling the earth with love and with light, we filled it with corruption and we filled it with evil and we filled it with hate. We filled it with all these things that are not of God. And if you skip forward a few more verses, in our pride we stop trying to fill. 
In Genesis chapter 11, we come to the book, uh, the, the story of the Tower of Babylon. And it says, verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the earth. So humanity was blessed. And then we gave up our blessing. We filled the earth with violence and corruption. And then in our pride, we began erecting a tower to reach the heavens. So God won't have any part of that. And he scatters and sends them all across the world. But this is the moment where we begin to see the election and chosen language in the Old Testament. This is where, where would Paul have seen these words of predestined, elected, and chosen? It would have been his Bible. It's three quarters of what our Bible is, but it was 100% of what Paul's Bible was, was the Old Testament. And so he saw and read, and he was a student of God's word. And so these are the things that would have informed him and formed his words in his writing. And so Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. What that verse means is that God, before the foundations of the world, decided and chose to love you no matter what. My daughter plays this game with me now. She just turned six. And based on some of the books we've read her, she likes to do this. She goes, Dad, Dad, would you love me if my eyes were as big as my head? She does weird things like that, you know. Dad, would you love me if I smelled like the worst thing you've ever smelled before? Right? And I, and I obviously say, yes, I will love you. And that's all joking. But, you know, before she was born... When Amy first got pregnant, we had already decided to love that child no matter what. No matter how they came out looking, no matter how they came out with the attitude, no matter if they needed stuff, we'll give our money, give the coats off our back, give them house, give them food. Whatever the case, we're going to love that child, even if they make it really difficult some days. And God's saying the same thing, that even before earth was created, even before you were here, I've predestined to love you. I'm choosing to love you no matter what. And so Genesis 12 happens. And if you've been at this church for the last couple of months, I'm hoping that fireworks are going off in your head and you're like, I know it's coming because Genesis 12 is where we meet. Yes, Abraham! Go team church. Genesis chapter 12 is we find one man to us chosen at random of no merit on his own to be God's person. 18, Genesis 18, 18 through 19 says it this way, and this is God speaking. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I've promised. God chooses or elects Abraham to be the man from which a nation will come and eventually a Messiah. And why does he do all this? 12 verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Blessing, 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 blessing. 
The idea here is that through Abraham, God is trying to restore blessing back to humanity. Us at large who gave our blessing away for nothing, who live lives of corruption and sin and evil, God's coming through one man. I'm choosing Abraham to be my plan, the guy that I'm going to choose, my guy Abe. Through him, blessing's coming. Blessing is restored to God's chosen by one man. And the purpose of that blessing was just not to be blessed, but blessed to bless. He was the point, the starting source of blessing returning to humanity. And God does this by choosing his people. And so far down through his descendants, you see that from Abraham comes the seed, comes the people, comes the descendants to be a mighty nation. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, 7, 6, God God says this, For you, talking to Abraham's long-distance relatives and descendants, you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. So God chooses, elects Abraham to be his person of choice. And then down the line, through Abraham's genealogy, he chooses Israel to be his holy people. Why? To be a blessing to the nations. But how do they do at that? Not good. They put the blessing on a stick and sacrifice him. A woman, when Jesus is talking to her, she, they show this very clearly in John 4, 19 through 20. It says, Sir, speaking to Jesus, you must be a prophet. Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? The law forced Israel to become, instead of, exclu- instead of inclusive and welcome people in, to become exclusive. It built gates and towers that separated them from the nations. Instead of being that source of blessing, they held it from everybody else. God's chosen people didn't fit the space that he was looking for. But God's not done. And so through Abraham, through Israel comes Jesus. And this is bringing us back into Ephesians. Peter, right after Pentecost, he says it this way. He says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be the Lord and Messiah. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, an ethnic Jew from the chosen nation of Israel. He comes and does what was predestined of him long ago, before you and I were ever around. Through Jesus, God restores blessing. Can we go back to that picture, guys? Two more. Oh, the other direction. There we go. Through humanity lost its blessing, so God chooses Abraham to create a chosen people, that from that people comes the Messiah, and from that Messiah all nations are blessed, and in that he restores blessing all the way back to humanity. Do you understand what Paul's doing? He's saying, finally, for the first time, I'm seeing the whole history. Finally, for the first time, I'm seeing all the gaps. Finally, for the first time, I'm seeing everything. And it's all pointing to Jesus. So 
how does this answer our original question? Was Paul a coach, a builder, or a hitman? What was Paul doing in all of this? Why is this matter? There is one other place in the word, in the scripture, where all of these words come together. Grace, blessing, chosen, election, predestined, foreknew. And that is Paul's extensive work on the good news, which is the book of Romans. And when you read through that with the context of this history in mind, you start seeing that God's not dealing with specific people. He's dealing with his elected family. He chose Israel. Chapter, Romans chapter 9 talks about this. He chose Israel. But not all Israelites opted in to be part of the family of God. Some rejected it. Some jumped out. Some from outside of the nation, like Rahab and Ruth, come into the family of God. But this predestination election talk is family talk. God is talking about his chosen nation, his chosen family, and predestined selected ideas of how to restore them to himself. Have you guys ever been so excited to tell somebody good news? Or maybe really juicy news. Yeah, I know, Mom. And you're holding it all in, and you're holding it all in, and holding it all in, and then finally that person comes home, or they show up, and it goes whoosh, like a dam, and it just all comes out. And the words are spilling over each other, and they just can't keep up, and you're like, da 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 Every day when I get home, that's how my wife greets me. It's just a full rundown of step-by-step step of how everything, and if you're listening downstairs, Amy, I love it. Love it. Don't stop. All of the things that we just talked about is Paul in one sentence from verses 3 through 14 in the Greek. That's one sentence in one big whoosh. It's Paul just getting all these things off of his chest. Finally, I understand. For the first time, from generations and years of trying to figure out how is this going to come about? Where is the Messiah? How is this good news coming? Who is it going to be? All of it finally for the very first time makes sense to Paul. And he just throws it out there in this long, beautiful praise song to God. If you read through those three verses 3 through 14, you'll notice that there's no commands. Nothing that we in the church like to hear, like, go do this. Be a more grace-filled person, so here's the three steps to do that. Or be a more powerful person of prayer, so here's the three Ps to do that. Or whatever. This is all just one gigantic psalm expression of praise to God. Tim Mackey says, he goes, God chooses one out of the many so that through one he can restore blessing back to the many. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says, yes, Adam's sin, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And this is how I'm going to say it. You are blessed because God chose to adopt you in Christ, through Christ, into his family. 
He planned all this long ago because he loves you and because it pleases him. Paul excitedly said, Paul in exuberance and unbridled and unrestrained excitement is sharing through praise and song the answer, the answer that everyone has been waiting for and looking for. The answer is Jesus. The restoration to our original blessing is Jesus. The way back into the family of God is Jesus. And guess what? The family of God isn't just Israel. It's all of humanity. When you were reading through it, I wonder if you caught this in those, ver those 11 verses here. The in him phrase. It's scattered through all of this. It's, verse 3 is blessed us in him. He chose us in him. He predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. And it goes on and on. In him, in him, in him, in him. And this blessing and election language in Ephesians is not you are predestined to be in him. It's you who are in Jesus are predestined. You who are in Jesus are elected. You who are, are in Jesus are chosen. How, how do we get into the family of God? He answers that in verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard of the truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed him, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear this election language and you hear this chosen language, Paul in his mind is not thinking of specific individual predestined plan of who will personally be saved and not be saved. He's talking about his family of God that he's predestined to come back to himself. Your sin, my sin, makes me abhorrent to God. Do you realize that in my own flesh, God cannot be around me? In my own inherited sin nature, God refuses to be around evil. That's bad news. But the good news is that he predestined us, verse 4, before the foundations of the earth to love you. And so he created a way, much like Yui at the very beginning of this sermon, going all the way back, he started setting up a space that only Jesus could fill to bring his sons and daughters back to him. Do you understand where Paul's going with this? Do you understand that he's saying that at one point you were so far gone, so far lost, that there was no way to be restored back into a relationship with me. You were destined for destruction. But I, God, am not willing to leave you out in the cold. I, God, am not willing to leave you and let you go. I, God, am not willing to let you die. And so I am choosing people before you're even born in case the worst case scenario comes to set up a way to invite you back into my family. And then you get this adoption language. Us who are sons and daughters of the father of lies. Those who are living in the princes of this world under his domain. God gives us a way to come back into the family of God and his name is Jesus. Romans 10, all who hear and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The message of Jesus was to the whole of humanity. It's open to every ear, and any person that will hear and believe is welcomed into the family of God. And that is the good news that Paul is trying to share today. The good news that we've spent two weeks talking about, the good news, the exciting news, the revelatory news of that the God of family is here, and all it takes is belief.
And when you believe all of these things, these amazing and good and powerful things are at your fingertips. You know, as adopted son in this culture, when you were adopted into another person's family, you took on their name and you had access to everything that the biological children had. You were allowed to inherit everything. You had the same rights as the biological children. And so what Paul says here, and if you jump over to Ephesians, we're not going to read it now, but Ephesians chapter 3, he says, for the first time I realized that God's people is not just Israel, but the Gentiles too. You were predestined to be adopted into the family of God. You have a way back. And what's the access we have? In chapter 3, you see this family covenant Trinitarian language here. Blessed be God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, us in him and receiving every blessing of the Spirit. That's the triune nature. That's the Godhead of God the Father and Son the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you are found in that union. And when you find yourself in that union, you have access to every spiritual blessing. You have access to all spiritual inheritances. And it's sealed, signed, and delivered by the kiss of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that next time we have the privilege of hanging out. As you're reading this and studying on it and thinking about it, this language that Paul is using, I, I believe, is coming from a mindset of dealing with covenant family relationships, not specific people. God elected and chose a few specific people to be his way for the many to come back to blessing and back into the family of God. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, I lied to you, we are going to read it. As you read what I have written... You will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. What he has written was he's talking about chapter 1. God did not reveal it to the previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. I'll leave you with this last example. Watchman Nee in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, he has this example of that in Christ. If you imagine that this was my journal, this dictated my life, my darkest moments, my best moments, and it's hideous to God, just full of sin and corruption and violence, and he looks at it and he says, I can't, I can't read that. But if you imagine that Slowly, meticulously, the cover is taken off and a new cover is applied to it and it's glued and it's stapled and it's sewn on and the ripped pages are repaired. My life is buried in Christ. And so God looks at that book and he says on the side, Jesus Christ. And so when you, God says you are in Christ, he's looking at you in Christ. All those things that separated you are buried in Christ. 
You understand that's your position? Do you understand that's your identity? Do you understand how much that changes in your life is that when God views you, you're no longer a distant, rebellious son or daughter. He views you as Jesus Christ, his own son. And you're adopted into that family of God. Church, that's where we're ending today. This is the good news, the revelatory, the apocalypsis work that Paul is receiving through the Holy Spirit about the family of God and the, the peace that Jesus plays in it. And he can't do anything else except respond in worship and in praise and in him and in written word.